is the day after Christmas sermon. If you'd turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, say, well, if you know your Bible, you're thinking, wow, Acts chapter 7, the day after Christmas? Yeah, actually, the two go together, believe it or not. During Christmas, we sing Christmas carols, and one of our favorite outreaches in Las Vegas, New Mexico, is to sing Christmas carols and then testify and preach. There are very few places in that town where you have a congregation of people where people gather. Walmart is one of them. Super Save is another one, sort of. And so we gather there, and we sing Christmas carols, and we testify. Uh, It it does get pretty cold, and so we do that for at least a while. And uh, when you're singing Christmas carols, these old carols, they leave you alone because they know it's Christmas season and you're singing Silent Night and so they don't want to bother you, you know, it's a part of the season. And uh, these old carols, as you know, have other verses. And we sing all of the verses, or at least many of them, that bring out the gospel in a very powerful way. And uh, we then declare the one that the carols are talking about. But one of the carols that is more popular in England, not so much here, is a carol called Good King Wesenslas. And I'm sure you may have heard it. You may recognize the tune. And it's really not a Christmas carol per se. It's a post-Christmas carol. It's actually a carol that talks about the day after Christmas on the day of the Feast of St. Stephen, which is December 26th. And the Christmas carols, the original old Christmas carols, were written for their theological content so that the singers and the hearers could understand what Christmas is really all about and could actually be convicted by the Holy Spirit. And so it is with this carol... Good King Wenceslas is actually based on a poem that was written uh, some centuries ago in uh, Eastern Europe, in Bohemia, about a man who actually lived. And this man in his life was, in fact, not a king. He was a nobleman, and I say a noble man in the truest sense. But it's it's a poem about this man and about his life and about an incident that apparently took place on the day of the Feast of St. Stephen, or the day after Christmas, December 26th. And it talks about how that he and one of his young men, one of the servants in his house, went out of their way to help somebody in need in the dead of a very cold winter. And so I'm going to preach a sermon called The Day After Christmas out of Acts chapter 7, And I'm preaching out of Acts chapter 7 because it talks about this man called St. Stephen, who he was and why this relates to what we're talking about the day after Christmas. And so it says in Acts 7 verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look. I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In the chapter 8, rather, now Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Father, I pray for your grace this morning. I pray that the power and the spirit of these words might penetrate our lives, that we would go from this place determined to live out the life that you purchased for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. The day after Christmas. Now, I'm talking about a poem that became a carol, a song called Good King Wenceslas. And you may have heard it, you may recognize the tune, and I'm not sure if you have the, the stanzas uh, that I sent, but it, it basically goes, Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen when the snow lay round about deep and crisp and even brightly shone the moon that night though the frost was cruel when a poor man came inside gathering winter fuel you can sing if you want <laughs> hither page and stand by me if thou knowst it telling yonder peasant who is he where and what his dwelling sire he lives a good league hence Underneath the mountain, right against the forest fence, by St. Agnes' fountain. Bring me flesh and bring me wine, bring me pine logs hither. Thou and I shall see him dine when we bear them thither. Page and monarch, forth they went, forth they went together. Through the rude wind's wild lament and the bitter weather. Sire, the night is darker now and the wind blows stronger. Fails my heart, I know not how. I can go no longer. Mark my footsteps, good my page. Tread thou in them boldly. Thou shalt find the winter's rage. Freeze thy blood less coldly. In his master's step he trod, where the snow lay dinted. Heat was in the very sod, which the saint had printed. Therefore, Christian men, be sure, wealth or rank possessing. Ye who now will bless the poor, Shall yourselves find blessing? I could have just read the lyrics. <clears throat> but I thought it might be a little boring, so. And the lyrics are part of the sermon. He's talking about the feast of St. Stephen. The day after Christmas. The day after we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And as Pastor Warner just told us, this is the day that marks the getting on with life. We're moving ahead now. Now we're going to live out the life that his coming purchased for us. 
He came and he died on the cross and shed his blood as the sacrifice. He rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and sent the Spirit of God and gifts innumerable. And we are now living out the life that he purchased for us. And so it's important to consider who Stephen was. Why is this the day, the Feast of St. Stephen? Well, he was the first martyr of the church age. And he was a convert in the new uh, Jerusalem church, the church of Jerusalem right after Pentecost. He benefited from the resurrection of Jesus. He gave his heart to Christ. His life was changed. And he was a man who went on to declare truth to his generation. He stood in spite of the reception and he told the truth. And he was not one of the twelve. He was actually a disciple of the twelve. And he was a man who stood in the name of Jesus and preached the truth to his generation. This is St. Stephen. And so this man, Venceslaus, was standing there the day after Christmas and he's considering the forbidding landscape that lay out before him. It says in the, in the song that there was snow all around and that it was deep and crisp and even. Now, if you've been around snow where it snows, that tells you a lot about the conditions. That means that it was deep, so there were probably more than one stone, a storm happening up to that point. And it was crisp, meaning that it had been windy, and the, the top layer of the snow had got kind of a crust on it, and it was even. The wind kind of blows it into this level surface. And so this is a very forbidding uh, uh, landscape. And as he's standing there considering it, it's the day after Christmas. His house is warm. His family is cared for. Their bellies are full. They are uh, rejoicing in their hearts. They're at peace because they've just celebrated the holidays together. They just recognize the birth of their Savior uh, together. And he's looking out at this forbidding landscape under a full moon and he sees something. He sees movement, and he, as he considers that, he realizes that it's a man. And a man is bent over, and he's collecting what he can on that forbidding surface of twigs and uh, branches, whatever he can find, winter's fuel. Because he's going to go back to where he lives, and he's going to try to keep the fire going so that his family can be warm on that very cold night. He sees the need on the day of Stephen and he considers and then he responds. You see, he could have just thought to himself, you know, poor dude, right? Stuff happens. Thank God we're blessed. God's good to us. And just turned away and walked back into his warm house. He could have reasoned in his mind, well, if this guy had just been diligent during the summer, like me, he wouldn't be in this predicament now, the beginning of winter. And just shook his head and walked back to his warm house. According to the poem and the song that was inspired by it, this man, Venceslaus, acted. 
He responded to what he saw, and he didn't hesitate to act. You know why? Because if he had hesitated, if he had waited any longer, his cold flesh would have convinced him to do otherwise. And he calls a young man to his side, this young male servant, this page, and he challenges him to see the need of the world outside of their warm walls. He asks the question, and I want you to consider the same question this morning. He says to the servant, who is that man? And where does he live? Who is that man? And where does he live? We all see a world of need. We all see a world of crying need, of desperate need. And we understand that for many, the need that people feel is self-imposed. Yes, it is because of their choices. Yes, it is because of their bad decisions and whatnot. But God wants us to consider the forbidding landscape and to see them. And he asked the question of us, who is that man? And where does he live? The young boy looks out, recognizes the man, and he says, well, you know, he lives over there under the mountain. A good league hands. It's far away. Right up against the forest fence by St. Agnes Fountain. Now, this is a poem. And poets write words for a reason. When there are names in a poem, that's because they want you to focus on who that person is. Every detail matters. And this poet gives us important detail. This man lives at a distance. He lives in a cave. He lives right against the fence of the king's forest. That's the only reason why a fence would be around a forest. Because somebody's claiming it for their own and you're not welcome. That's why he is picking up sticks and twigs where he can. Because the forest has a fence around it. What does that mean? That means there's always been injustice. Welcome to the human race. There's always been injustice. As a matter of fact, it's only the influence of the gospel on society that anything's ever been done about it. And he asked this young man, who is this man and where does he live? Well, he lives quite a distance away from here. He lives in a cave over against the forest fence by St. Agnes's fountain. Well, who is St. Agnes? According to tradition, Agnes was a 13-year-old girl. She had become a Christian. She was the daughter of a, of a Roman citizen of some wealth. And she had given her heart to Jesus Christ, and uh, she refused the advances of a number of male suitors because of her Christian convictions. Now, this was an embarrassment to her family. She uh, was scorned because of her attitude. But because she was a Christian, she refused their advances, and they grew angry with her and attacked her. They dragged her away 
They stripped her. And according to tradition, a miracle happened. Her hair grew out and covered her. And as men were trying to assault her, God was killing them. This is the tradition of St. Agnes. And according to the tradition, one of the men who had been killed came back to life when she prayed for him. Eventually, they still martyred her. But she is remembered for her righteous stand. He lives near the well of St. Agnes Fountain. Venceslaus is considering this. And it says in the song, Bring me flesh and bring me wine. Bring me pine logs hither. Thou and I shall see him dine when we bear them thither. Page and monarch, forth they went. Forth they went together through the rude winds, wild lament and the bitter weather. You see, this man realized that if he was going to do anything, he was going to have to do it now. He was going to have to act on the moment. He was going to have to be willing to sacrifice his comfort and his convenience. That he'd have to set out in the bitter cold to find this man's home. I used to think that when people talked about wind chill factor, that they were just trying to kind of artificially lower the temperature so it'll sound more impressive. I found out different. Wind matters. Trust me on that one. I wouldn't mind standing in 20 degree weather if there was no wind and it was sunny and you're dressed properly, you're fine. But it can be 30 degrees and overcast with windy and you cannot get comfortable. That wind cuts right through you. And in the story here, they're setting out at night in bitter cold with the winds blowing, freezing winds piercing their garments because it wasn't convenient and it wasn't comfortable but there was a need and they had to respond to the need you see obeying God is rarely convenient and it's rarely easy and it often involves sacrifice that could even seem unbearable or undoable at the time. He could have easily said, you know what, it'll be warmer tomorrow. It'll be better in the light of day. We can find the place a lot easier. And besides, I've got some needs myself. Secondly, I want you to consider his influence on the young man. This is a picture of discipleship. Can I tell you something about discipleship? Discipleship didn't begin with Jesus or Christianity. Discipleship always has been. Discipleship is basically something that occurs because one generation arrives, lives out its days and passes. And right behind it is another generation. And the new generation looks for they look for role models. They look for somebody in the generation before them who can show them how to navigate this life. And so it's always been. 
And so here is this man who looks out and sees the need. He responds in his heart, but he feels a burden to reach back and to challenge the young man. And the young man makes the decision to follow in the footsteps of his sire, the man above him, his master. He follows the example. He's being challenged beyond his ability to see the need of the larger world. You see, it's almost laughable now that I look back. Now that I've lived a few decades and ministered a few decades to read the words of Jesus to his own disciples. Because they were all like the page. They were all young, teens, 20s. The old man among them was probably Peter, maybe Judas. They're hitting up around 30. They're kids. And Jesus is telling these young men, you are going to be witnesses unto me right here in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go pour your lives into the next generation in every nation of the world. That's an impossible task. It's almost laughable. And yet here is the Lord Jesus challenging these young men to do the impossible. Challenging them to see the need of the larger world. To understand their responsibility to care. Even though it's not easy. Even though it's not convenient. But the need is urgent. And time is of the essence and the fate of others weigh in the balance. And then the inevitable happens. Imagine this now. They bundle up the food and the drink and the wood. And they put these burdens on their backs. And they begin to trudge through the snow that is deep and crisp and even. In a howling freezing storm and it's inevitable but the young man falters it says sire the night is darker now and the wind blows stronger fails my heart I know not how I can go no longer see here's a young man that realizes that he doesn't have the strength to do this that it's beyond him now he's a young man When they were setting out, he was probably considering what was going on here. He probably didn't particularly care to be heading out into the cold. But he thought to himself, I hope the old man can keep up with me. But once they start out, he realizes he's in over his head that he can't handle this. And he finds it too difficult. He's going to quit. And he admits that he doesn't have what it takes. He admits that this is beyond him. He admits that this is a burden too heavy for him to carry. And what does Vesnislas do? I will stay here then. Go back. What's wrong with you? Wimp? Yeah, a lot of talk back there about whether the old man could keep up. You're not talking now. No. That's not discipleship. 
He says, Mark my footsteps, good my page. Tread thou in them boldly. Thou shalt find the winter's rage freeze thy blood less coldly. He says, son, put your feet where I put my feet. Stay close by me. You know, when it's windy, it's good to get in behind somebody bigger than you. (laughs) Step in their footsteps. And that's what he says to do. You're not out here on your own, son. Nobody sent you out here on your own. You're not expected to do this on your own. There are those who've gone before you. If you're wise, you'll stick close and put your feet where they put their feet and go forward. You see, in a blinding snowstorm, if you're marking the footsteps of the one before you, it gives you direction. And as I said, you can get in behind someone bigger than you and it has a way of deflecting the wind and making it more comfortable. See, when we think we know the way, then we can get off course. When we think, you know what, I don't really need to follow that closely. You know, he's from a different generation. They do things a little differently, but we're the new generation. You do you realize that when Pastor Warner was a teenager, the only time they ever saw anything like FaceTime was on the cartoon called The Jetsons. <laughs> Not even Star Trek had it back in those days. Nowadays, tech is everything. And it's really true. I have 11 grandkids, and down to the youngest one, they are all very tech savvy. It's just part of who they are. Me, I have to learn. I'm still learning. But it's this idea that somehow there's all this difference between generations. People are people. And if you're wise, there are those who love you enough to turn to you and say, follow closely. Stay close. Put your feet where I put my feet. And you're going to get to where you need to go. Because we think we know the way. I mean, he asked me where the guy lived. I told him. So I know better than him. We think we know the way. That's how we get off course. And in a storm like that, friend, that could be fatal. He said, mark my footsteps, my good page, tread thou in them boldly. In other words, have confidence, have faith, be calm, be deliberate about what you're doing, and just go forward. That means make up your mind. That means you're not going to be turning to the left hand. You're not going to be turning to the right hand. Yeah, you don't know what's over there, what's over there. Forget about what's over there. Forget, remember about where you're going. Think about where you're headed. Tread thou in them boldly, and thou shalt find the winter's rage freeze thy blood less coldly. It'll still freeze thy blood. 
We're in a storm for crying out loud. But it'll freeze thy blood less coldly. It'll be better. In other words, your blood will be freezing, but you can handle it. You're going to be going through a difficult season, but you can handle it. You're going to be pressed beyond measure. You're going to be pressed beyond your limits, but you can handle it. You're going to be okay. You'll never be tempted beyond what you'll be able to bear. And he'll always give you a way of escape. Yes, it's hard. He never promised that it would not be hard. But if we simply follow in the course that he's laid before us, we can handle it. You see, we're always strengthened beyond ourselves when we refuse to falter in doing the will of God in the moment. Even though we feel like quitting, even though we feel like we can't take another step, what do I do? You take another step. But it's just one step. Yes, it is. But you know what? When you take a step, you always get that strength that's beyond yourself. And you keep taking the steps. And the next thing you know, you're well down the road. And you realize just how faithful God is. How good God is. You see, this is a popular carol in a lot of nations of the world because of the moral lesson about this man, Venceslas, who even though he lived in a place of privilege, he was not a king at this point. He was a nobleman, as I said, in every sense of the word. He lived in a warm house with plenty. His family was well cared for, but he stood there on the day of St. Stephen that first martyr of the church age. And as he considered the world around him and his forbidding landscape, he saw the need. And he could not just bring himself to pull his coat in closer and walk in through the double doors and close them behind him saying, it's a shame. He said, boy, come here. Who is that man and where does he live? In the final stanza, it says, In his master's step he trod, where the snow lay dinted. Heat was in the very sod which the saint had printed. Therefore, Christian men, be sure, wealth or rank possessing, ye who now will bless the poor, who now will bless the poor, shall yourselves find blessing. We've been around long enough as a fellowship to know that those words are true. We've been around long enough as a church here to see that those words are true. That when we will not turn our gaze away from the need of the world, for even from our place of blessing, we continue to look out and see the need and call the generation after us to feel the weight of responsibility to care. We're always blessed. And we'll always be blessed. He never said it would always be convenient. He never said it would always be easy. But you'll always be blessed. Heat was in the very sod. What does that mean? 
That means when the older generation is faithful, the older generation goes forward knowing the course, refusing to quit, refusing to be turned to the left hand or to the right despite the conditions that you're making the path easier for those who will follow behind you. You're making it easier. You're paving the way for that young man who is looking at those dented steps in the snow and is meticulously following in behind you. Sometimes it's good in this life to stop for a second and to look behind you, to look around. Because you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that there are people who have been following you and you didn't even know they were there. Sometimes you wonder if your life counts. Sometimes you wonder if your life matters. Sometimes you wonder if your faithfulness in a day, day in and day out even matters. Until you stop and look around. Hey, what are you doing there? And you're realizing your life does matter. You're realizing what you do does count. Maybe you get ill, you're out for a few days, and you got people calling you. Where are you at? Texting you. And you think, well, what's it? Who is it? why is it their business? Because it is their business. Because they've been walking in your footsteps. And you need to get ready and get back out there so I can follow you. You matter. You're needed. You're essential. And when that first generation is faithful to move ahead in the right course, in the right path, you're warming the steps for those who are behind you. And like I said, this man, Benceslaus, was not a king, not in the days that he lived. He was a nobleman. But he was declared to be a king posthumously after he died because of his noble character. Let me tell you something about real royalty. Real royalty is only conferred later. The world confers royal, royal status on people. And that's phony, in my humble opinion. Real royalty is conferred later. We are a kingdom of priests unto God. And there are men and women in this life Faithful to God, blessed of God, yes, blessed of God. But whose eyes never leave the need of the world around us. Who live their lives daily in such a way so as to try to meet the need. Who is that man and where does he live? It's something that matters. And it's not the easy life. It involves sacrifice. And the world may not know your name. But God knows your name. And royalty is something that comes later. We call him good King Venceslaus when nobody in his day called him that at all. But there was a man who lived under a mountain near the forest fence who called him friend with a heart of gratitude when he brought the flesh and the drink and the wood simply because two men, one older, one younger, simply decided to care 
about the need out there. It's a very powerful lesson the day after Christmas, the day of St. Stephen. Who was Stephen? He was a man not afraid to stand and tell the truth to his generation, despite the consequence. The first martyr of the church age. He took the life that Jesus had purchased for him on the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension of the right hand of the Father, where he sent the Holy Spirit, and he made a stand in his generation. He did what God wanted him to do. And this man, centuries later, stood on that night in that forbidding landscape and in being inspired by that example, said, I see the need and I can't do anything but do what I can to meet the need of a dying world, of a desperate world. So what do we do now that Christmas is over? We get on with it. We do what we do. We are who we are. 2022 is upon us. Conferences in June. Let's just do what we do. And Jesus is going to be glorified. And I say to you, all the faces that I recognize, the faces that mean home to me, don't give up. Forward. We know the course. Let's just finish the course. Let's do what we do. You may wonder whether or not your example matters. Take a minute. Look around you. Because there are people who are following in your footsteps. You don't even know it. You're cutting the wind for them. And you don't even know it. Their footsteps are a little warmer in the blizzard. But you don't even know it. And we just simply go forward and do what we're called to do. There is a needy world. It seems overwhelming. But can I tell you, we can only labor while it's day. Because the night's coming when no one can labor. This is not forever. Let's bow our heads on this Sunday after Christmas. So appreciate this church family. I so appreciate this congregation of believers in Jesus Christ. Solid. Relentless in your vision and your pursuit of the will of God. Before we do anything else this morning, there are those who are perhaps sitting in our midst who came at the invitation of a friend or you heard about our service and you decided you're going to check it out and you finally came. And you're realizing now that God is here because you sense his presence. You sense the Holy Spirit dealing with your heart. You sense God convicting you about your sins to the point where you're not sure what to do about it. Well, friend, this is what God wants you to do about it. He wants you to surrender your heart to him today so that he can forgive your sins, so that he can wash you completely clean, just like he did for me. Way back in the day when I was an 18-year-old young man, broken and confused, completely messed up. My life was spiraling out of control because of my own choices. And I gave my heart to Jesus one night, and I've never been the same. And that same Jesus that saved me and saved my family is here this day to save you. 
And if that's you sitting there this morning, you need to be saved. You want to be saved. You want to know that your sins are forgiven. Then would you do one thing for me very quickly right now, right where you're sitting? Just let your hand go up so I can see it. Just wave it at me and just say, that's me, Pastor Ray. Pastor Warner, this is, I want to give my heart to Christ. I see a hand back there. You can put it down. Somebody else, you put your hand up. And you say, you know what? I don't want to go through another year like this year. And if God can make the difference for me, that's what I want. Put your hand up. Put your hand up. God brought you here today to save you. Maybe at one time you were saved, but you feel so far away from God right now because you're backslidden. You don't want to go another day feeling like a phony, feeling so empty inside. You just want to humble yourself before a God who loves you and get it right. Put your hand up right now. Just let it go up. You can put it right back down. You're not saved or you're backslidden. Maybe you're watching on live stream. You feel so convicted and you just want to know what I can do about it. This is what you can do. Just bow your head right where you are and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on that cross for me and that you rose again from the dead to save me. Come into my heart and cleanse me from my sins. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. If you prayed that prayer or anything like that, friend, follow through. And the best thing you can do if you prayed that on live stream is be here tonight. Be here tonight when the doors open. And God is going to bless you so much. It'll blow your mind what God has for you. But you got to follow through. I'm speaking to Christians here this morning, this day after Christmas. Thank God for Christmas, friend. Yes, it's commercialized. Yes, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. But in those early centuries, when those Christian pastors deliberately started Christmas, they wanted to bring the focus this time of year to Jesus. When Saturnalia was dominating the Roman world and debauchery was the order of the day, they countered it with Christmas. And that's not a bad thing. It's a time when we point the world to the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. In a few days, the calendar is going to flip to 2022. Well, what does that number mean? It means one thing. It's the 2022nd anniversary of an event. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And it's our opportunity to point the world to Jesus. Here is a Christian man, Venceslaus, standing there, peering out into the cold landscape from the warm glow of his house, a family that's kept and blessed, well-fed, that he sees the need. He could just turn away. He could have said, I can't do it all. But he calls a young man and says, who is that man and where does he live? We need to do something and we need to do it now. Let's stand together. Thank God for those who go before us.
Thank God for the steps of a faithful pastor who goes in the right direction and does not falter. He doesn't realize how many people have been spared the buffeting winds. He doesn't realize how many people have had their steps warm just a little because of his efforts. Let's commit ourselves on this Sunday morning and this pondering the new year to stay the course, to see the need, and use all that God has given us to do everything in our power to meet the need as we sing and worship this morning. This altar is open. in this place right now. 